There are 100 one another's in the New Testament. One another's are things that we are supposed to be doing in community with each other. Um, You've heard of some of them, bear one another's burdens, encourage one another, everybody get together, try to love one another right now. That's the only verse you recognize. That's what's funny. It's like, so it's like, there, it's, it's kind of ingrained in the New Testament that this one anothering ought to be taking place on a regular basis. One another in the English is two words. That's how we translate it. But the, but the original writings of the New Testament were written in what they call koine or common Greek. And they only had one word that was one another and it was alelon, and it was this idea of communal uh, interaction with each other. So when it said encourage one another, the idea was that that happens on a person-to-person basis. Um, So of the 100 times one another is mentioned in the New Testament, 47 of them were directly written to the church, like to us. This is how you should interact with each other. And that's kind of what we're covering. Those 47 things can be broken down into four, what I think, four common themes. Um, you have love, um, you have um, unity, and humility, and encouragement. So you can take all 47 one another's that are directed to you and I as the New Testament church and break them down into these four categories. Of course, there's a couple stragglers out there that don't really fit anywhere. Like, where would you put greet each other with a holy kiss? Like, there's four times when it's mentioned that we're supposed to kiss each other. All right. You know, the Bible says, um, sorry, honey. Uh, That got awkward for a second. Okay. So it's, it, you, there's like that, does that, <laughs> sometimes that would be an encouragement so we could fit under that category. Sometimes kissing would be like humility. But here's the thing, the, the Christian faith is an action faith. And the idea is that when we, are, when we are told how to live this thing out, it's not a state of being. It's like there's, an, uh, there's a suffix, I-N-G, on the end of how we're supposed to be Christian. So, so when we look at like one another, how we are supposed to interact with each other, you put an I-N-G on it and it becomes an action verb. Like now that I-N-G suffix makes this look different. So instead of, instead of uh, love and unity and humility and encouragement, these, these static traits of Christianity, now we can put an ING on them and they become something we're supposed to be doing in relationship with each other. So now, so now we are loving. Now we are unifying. Now we are humbling. And now we're encouraging. Because the Christian faith is an action faith. Like love is a thing. We know love is a thing. But then when you are making it into an action verb, now it is, now, now, loving is doing something. And that's, that's the difference. So we're going to take a few weeks and break these four categories down. And what does it look like to love one another? Like what does is, what is one anothering look like for us as a group of people gathered together with this common goal of reaching our community 
and making it look more like what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like. So here's the thing. One, these one another passages, this is, this is crazy. These one another passages assume that you're in relationship with each other. So when Paul is writing to these different churches, he is assuming that they already have a relationship with each other. So if you don't get anything else out of this message, if you're not doing Christianity with other people, you're not doing Christianity the way it was described in the New Testament. Because I hate, this is, this is what's, what's been bothering me, is that I think that we have, we have created this thing that we call church that doesn't look anything like what the church looks like in the New Testament. And, and because we've created a group of believers like this that come to a building, sit in a row, listen to, listen to a, a musical performance, and hear a guy orate for, for 30 minutes, you have, I've been to church, but this ain't church. This is the church gathered together celebrating this is the church gathered together rejoicing and, and, and praising the Lord and hearing something from God's word. I think that's all good. I think that's all legit. But this is not where you do church. This is where you're encouraged. You do church in your relationships with each other. That's why I love community groups. That's why I love hanging out with people. But Scripture assumes that we are going to be in relationship with each other. We're going to be connected as individuals and as a church. Because you can't do, you can't do one another in isolation. You can't do one another by yourself unless you're schizophrenic. And that's a whole different conversation. This one another thing is really a big deal to God because relationships are a big deal to God. And God has a lot to say about relationships because when relationships are working right, life just seems to work better, right? When you have a good handle on how to have relationship with others, life just seems to go better. And that's what we're talking about. And the opposite is also true. If you suck at relationships, you're probably not enjoying life very much. God has a lot to say about relationships. So we're going to jump in here on this loving one another in this idea of one anothering. And we're going to start in John chapter 13. If you'd be so kind as to turn there, we'll have it up on the screen if you don't have an app for your phone. But it's John chapter 13, fourth book of the New Testament, the fourth gospel. And I want to kind of set the setting here now. Jesus has turned a page in his life. So he came to earth. He ministered for three years at the age of 30. He's now 33 years of age, and in John chapter 13, he is with his disciples. He's going to be celebrating the Passover with him, and what happens the next day is incredibly tragic. This evening, he's going to be betrayed by Judas in the garden. He's going to be arrested, falsely accused, falsely sentenced to death. He's going to die on the cross the next day. So here in John chapter 13, you have all... God, with skin on him, knowing what's about to happen, 
And he's having this conversation with his disciples. And in the midst of all of this, he's couching this whole conversation with like, all right, this is it. I mean, I'm, I'm almost done here on earth. And he feels the heaviness of all of this. Like his disciples can't because they don't understand what's about to happen and they're trying to unravel what he's trying to say. And the very next chapter, by the way, just a few verses later, is where that very famous scripture where where Jesus said, you know, don't be troubled, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there you may be also. It's a beautiful passage of scripture, but why was he even saying that to his disciples? Because he had just told them, I'm done here now. So all of this is on Jesus' shoulders as he comes into the upper room. And he sits, this is what is is incredible. He comes into the room and they're all seated around this table, lying kind of around this table in a relaxed position. And the Bible says that Jesus gets a basin of water and a towel and he goes around and he washes everybody's feet. Even Judas's feet. And then he has this incredible conversation about how we are supposed to be loving one another. So let's read some of his last discourse here, starting with verse 31 in John chapter 13. Therefore, when he, that he is Judas, so therefore when Judas was gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. I know that sounds confusing. But what Jesus is telling him is now is the time it's all going to happen. Everything that I've been telling you about, the whole reason I came is about to happen. All that this was for happens tomorrow. I'm going to die and be glorified, but all of this is so that God gets glorification. Because it's the only way that he could have reconciled us to God himself. Verse 33, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you. He's saying, I'm going to the cross, and you won't be able to go with me there. I mean, do you feel the heaviness of what he's, I feel it right now. Like, I just feel the heaviness of what he's saying. Verse 34, a new commandment. I give unto you that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So now before all this happens, what Jesus is saying is, I want to tell you something that's really heavy on my heart right here. So he's speaking his last words, and you should really pay close attention. Plus it's Jesus, so you really ought to be paying close attention. And then he tells you, I'm giving you a new commandment. This is something that you have not heard before. That's when you get your pen and paper out and write it down. This is something significant that Jesus is about to tell him. And he tells them, you should love one another. And he goes on in verse 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. That's a significant statement. When the world sees Christians loving well, it's so unusual that it becomes attractional. 
Like when they love the way Jesus is saying to love, it's noticeable. That's what's incredible. It is something that you take notice of because it is so remarkable the way they love. How are you doing with that kind of love? And again, I don't think that that type of level of love happens when you come to church. I think that kind of love happens out here. When you're doing life with other people, that's when that kind of love can take place. Here's the big truth. How we love each other validates and authenticates the gospel. So you can say all day long that you're a Christian because you believe this or because you practice this way or you do this or you do that. That's not what Jesus said was going to convince the world that we have something precious. What was going to convince the world and what is going to convince the world that we have something remarkable is how well we are loving one another. And where is that loving taking place? Where is that happening for you? Well, you know, I mean, I, I love my wife or I love my kids. That's what everybody does. That's, the, that's what you should do. So my question is, where are you loving other Christians? Where in your life, where is it in your schedule that you are loving well? Loving well sometimes looks like a lot of work because loving is giving and loving is investing and loving is hard work. So in, in the Koine Greek, that common Greek that the Bible was written in, they have four different words for love. And I thought, I thought you might find this interesting. And only three of them are used in Scripture. The first word, the first Greek word for love is phileo. I put that little accent in there to make it sound like I was studious. But phileo love is like a brotherly love. You know the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia? Phileo. So that type of love is just good-natured. It's friendly. Honestly, I think that's the kind of love you feel when you walk in the foyer, someone greets you, welcomes you, hands you coffee. That's, you know, just that, just that camaraderie. That's a beautiful thing. It's a great thing. That's brotherly love. And then you have eros, which is a physical love. And eros is where we get the word erotic. That appears nowhere in Scripture, by the way, because it was not considered even worthy of conversation. It was considered such a base form of love that the Greeks did not use it commonly and it never found its way into Scripture. Then the next word for love is the word storge. And this is a familial love. This is what you would normally have like in a family relationship, like when you go to grandma's for Thanksgiving. Just good to see everybody. Most everybody. There's always that weird uncle. But... You're like, we don't have a weird uncle. It's probably you. <laughs> it's this familial love. Like, like, like um, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a real strong, genuine bond. Like, like, and, and let me just be honest with you. I think this is what we associate with Christianity the most. 
I think, I think this storge love, like we are family, like this is, so we, we treat each other like family, just being nice to each other, like welcoming them home for Christmas. That's the kind of love that we think that we have with each other when it comes to Jesus saying love one another. But there's a deeper love here that I think, and this is just me being honest with you, I think we're completely unfamiliar with in the church. And that's the word agape. And the word agape is a sacrificial love. It is this self-sacrificing love that I don't want anything in return. I am just loving you the way God has loved me. It's an act of the will. The Greeks saw this as the noblest of all loves, even more so than a brotherly love, even more so than a family love, even more so than a mother to a child, although that's probably about the closest you can come. And then, so, so, so let me put this back into context. When Jesus said four times in the passage that we read that we're supposed to love one another, which of those do you think he was talking about? Of course, the most difficult one, agape. He was like, when the world sees this agape love that you have for each other, it is going to be so remarkable that it becomes attractional. <laughs> I like storge love. I even like phileo love. I mean, to be quite honest, I like eros love too. But it's like, <laughs> can I take that one back? That's probably not a great thing to say right there. Might be the truth, but maybe not appropriate. But you have, you have this incredible potential for love because of your relationship with the Lord. And you can do this. So we're going to take a look in just a minute. Just two things that I think can really help you do this kind of love. That's what's exciting. Not just study it, but put an ING on it and do it. Like you can really love this way. But here's my big concern before we get into all that. I think that we've created a Christianity that is comfortable without agape. I think we've created church to be okay with phileo. I think we've created a, a whole system of religious worship that's okay with storge at best. Because where in church do we practice agape? Where is it happening? It has to happen in smaller interpersonal relationships. It just does not happen when you're sitting in a row facing forward. That's instructional. That feels good. I think it's important. I think it's valid, but it's not agape. So coming to church and attending a service is not loving one another. So what I'm really trying to get across here, are you getting it? Like it, it, it's beyond what we're experiencing right here. There's more to it. I think this is encouraging. I love gathering together and praising the Lord. I think there's a beauty to what's happening right here. But this is not where this is happening. So where do we experience this? And how do we exercise this kind of love? The full expectation of Scripture. When you read the letters to the churches. Was that this 
kind of love was taking place in community amongst a family of believers. And so if it's that important, if it's that important, then how do we grow in this kind of love? How do we love one another the way that Jesus loved us? What does that look like? How does it happen? Let me just give you two things and we're done. The first thing is you have to, in my opinion, receive God's love. Like you have to, you, you do this kind of love by receiving his love first. And this is, this in my opinion is the critical element here. Because the truth of the matter is if you don't understand how much God loves you, you can never love anybody the way he loves you. And so here's what it takes. It takes, it takes just unplugging and spending some time thinking about how much God loves you and all that he's done for you and the sacrifices that he's made for you. The standard by which we should love each other is how Jesus loved us. You cannot love someone else as God loves you without receiving the love from him first. When, when, when we acknowledge, when, when I acknowledge the incredible love I have been shown and that I have experienced, it becomes overwhelming. And when I'm overwhelmed with the love of God for me, then that overwhelming love begins to overflow to other people. So here's my thing. You can do a good job with phileo love and storge love. But I really don't think that you can agape love somebody and fake it. I think it has to be genuine. I think it comes because you understand how much God has loved you and everything God has done for you. And if you're going to one another well, if you're going to love one another the way God loved you, it's going to have to look different than you do things. Because this is not, this doesn't come from you. This comes from the Lord. But here's the exciting thing. I believe you were created for this. We are made in God's image, right? We have the indwelling Holy Spirit as believers. We have the capacity to love this well. We are made in the image of God. We are capable to do this. Imagine if a husband truly agaped his wife. Try to make you mad, John. That was terrible timing, buddy. I'm sorry. It, just, it was just like right there. Chris, you're going to use that for the rest of the day. But imagine, he's never going to do another thing for me. But imagine, honestly, if, if wives would, would agape their husbands in such a way that they don't expect anything in return. They just, they just love well. But it's hard when you are expecting other people to love you the way that only God can. It's not fair. I'm not equipped as a husband to love my wife the way only God can without the help of the Lord. And we put that onus on somebody else like it's your responsibility to to feed my love appetite and to love me the way that I'm supposed to love so I'll love you as long as you love me back well. 
It just does not work. You have a deficit because, to be honest with you, if all I'm doing is trying to make myself feel better by how other people feel about me than leaving God out of the picture, then I'm not receiving from who I need to receive it from what I need. And that only comes from God. The most popular verse in all the scripture, in my opinion, is, is John 3.16. But just look at the first phrase. God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. Of course, that word loved is agape. So God agape the world. And he gave. And the verse goes on to say his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but of everlasting life. That's the kind of love we're talking about. I mean, can you receive that? Can you sit in that for a little while? Like Jesus thought it was a good trade. What? To give his life for you. God thought that that was a worthwhile prize. To give his own son for you. But like think of who you are, like all your shortcomings and all of your mistakes and all your failures and all the crap you know about yourself. And God thought that was a good investment. That's some incredible love right there. And if you're honest with who you are, and you know how much you struggle with all the stuff that you carry around, and God just loved you enough to give his own son for you and provide everything for you and give you life and breath, and you have a hard time loving somebody else, it's because you have not fully realized and received God's love. The second thing is this, receive God's love and then love with no strings attached. But boy, we like strings, don't we? Come on, we do it all the time. Hey, Melissa, I love you. Like, what am I expecting back? Love you too, Eric. It's like this little reinsurance that we always have to have. Like, I I just said I love you. Did you hear me? I said I loved you. I took out the trash. What you got for me? Whenever we love and expect something back, that's not agape. When, when we expect them to do back for us or we are expecting some kind of response from them, that's the string. So what, what kind of love are we talking about here? What does this look like? So 1 Corinthians 13, right? The most famous love chapter in the whole Bible. Where's the place you normally, like when you go to a wedding, this is where you always hear this used, right? Because it's the love chapter. But let me tell you where this love chapter is placed in Scripture, in chapter 12 and chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, it's all about the church. It's all about exercising your spiritual gifts to help the body of Christ. It's all about how we're supposed to interact with each other. And in the middle of that, Paul said, let me tell you what you're going to need to make this work. The missing ingredient in a church is chapter 13. So yeah, sure, go ahead and use this for a marriage. Go ahead and use it at the wedding. That's great. But let me tell you, this was not intended as a wedding passage. It was intended as a church passage. This is how we're supposed to be communicating with each other. This is how we're supposed to interact with each other. I put just a few of the verses up here. Love is patient. That's the ESV. 
Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It does not, it's not arrogant or wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things. How are we doing? Believe that. I mean, it's a fantastic passage of Scripture that talks about exactly how we're supposed to interact with each other. There's no way you can live like this and love like this without the help of the Lord. And then let's look back at that verse of Scripture. John chapter 13, verse 34, where Jesus said, Love one another as I have loved you. And let me just use a word that you can think about later. Freedom. When you love like this, and there's no strings attached, imagine the freedom. I receive from God this incredible love. I'm overwhelmed by the way God loves me. It overflows and compels me to love others well. And I just want to love them like God would love them if he were me. And not want anything else back because I get more love from God. Imagine the freedom when you can just do stuff for other people and you can agape other people and not be waiting around to get your feelings hurt because they didn't respond the way that you had already planned it out in your mind. Just loving them well. The freedom that there is to love people the way God loves us. To be able to love somebody that way and not wait around, not mark it down in your book what they owe you, just love them well and leave it there. Just interact in such a way that's attractional, like like just to be an incredible ambassador for the kind of love God wants to shower on other people. That's loving one another. That's what we're talking about. That's heavy stuff. But that's the type of one anothering that we're supposed to be doing in the area of love. You've received so much. So give it freely. Yeah, but I've been, I've been hurt or, you know, someone did me wrong. Yeah, that wasn't God. That was somebody being an idiot. And God's God's, but God, God is still God, but he still lets us be stupid. That's terrible English. But you get the idea, right? I mean, you, just because God is God doesn't mean he wanted that to happen. It hurt his heart too. Could he have stopped it? Sure. He could, he could make everything perfect. But then we have no free will. And people can be people. That's the thing. That's the whole beauty of it. That's what real love is. So this is, this is how you do it. Christianity is not how, how much you know about God or how much, you, how much you appreciate everything he's done for you. Real Christianity is what you do with it. The I-N-G. It's how it, it's how it looks. It's how you interact with people. It's taking it from from looking one direction in church to interacting with each other and doing this well. So that's the thing. Like, where is that happening for you? 
I think community groups are a great place to start. Plugging in, yeah, it's uncomfortable. Like when you first walk in, like you don't know nobody. You're not sure if these are a bunch of fruitcakes or like what is going to happen. All right, if they're weird, just go somewhere else. Like, and there's, there's, there is a likelihood that they will be, okay? Let's just set the expectation really low. But you jump in, you get involved, and then you begin to hear about needs. One of the most beautiful things in relation to this happened this last week when we had a memorial service here for Colleen Clark. Been coming to church here for about a year and a half. Many of you know her. She started attending our community group, and we just fell in love with her. She always had different color hair every time she came. Because she put a different wig on. She spent the last two weeks or so in hospice care. And there were, there were ladies from our community group that were with her round the clock. And she had no idea they were there. Singing to her, reading scripture, getting her chocolate milkshakes. They were agapeing her. We had a service here at our church. Mostly our community group showed up. And a lot of people who knew Colleen came that don't go to this church. And let me tell you, the chatter was, oh, my word, Colleen has told me so much about this place and about the people that go to church here. There is something attractional about that. There is something unique and noticeable And then, so now she's gone, right? So now we go over and I say we, the ladies, move everything out of her apartment, scrub it, clean it, get it ready. That's agape. Sometimes agape looks a lot like work. But it's loving the way God loved us. That's what we're looking for. And it's impossible without receiving God's love first. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. I think we want to be who you want us to be. I, I, I truly believe that as a, as a group of believers individually, we're here this morning. We're, we've invested an hour of our time. And we want to become who you want us to be. And, and God, I... I I just pray that you would work in our hearts to see how much we have been loved and that you would show us how we can love with no strings attached. In Jesus' name, amen.